This is Thank You Heartbreak. Hi, everyone. I'm Chelsea Lee Trescott. As a breakup coach, relationship advice columnist, and the founder of Break Upward, Chelsea is passionate about human beings and their stories. She talks to people about their journeys in love, growth, heartbreak, revelations, and every wound and lesson along the way. This podcast shines a light on heartbreak, showing you that the most crushing experiences are also your greatest opportunity to become meaningful, relatable human beings. Now, let's get to the heart of it. Hi, everyone. This is Chelsea Lee Truscott, breakup coach and podcast host of Thank You Heartbreak, and this is episode 116 with Beth Pavlinch. It's a really wild position to be in. Wild is not the word, by the way, but it's the one that's on the tip of my tongue. It's an ironic, there we go, an ironic position to be in, to be presenting other people or saying their names, introducing them, because I can barely say my own name right. It is the great joke. I mean, I think about at Starbucks, how they never get it right. And I was talking to a guy recently there. I'm like, dude, it's not you. It's me. I never say my own name right. So anyways, hopefully I'm saying my guest's name right. I try really hard to listen to them say it and then try to say it myself. Okay, enough of the nonsense. I want to talk about why this podcast is so special and the direction that it's going in. So as you may have realized, it has veered a bit away from romantic heartbreak. So to include other stories of heartbreak. And so that means sobriety, times when you hurt yourself, when you are breaking your own heart by using substances to avoid yourself, or the heartbreak of being close to someone that was dealing with addiction, the heartbreak of death, this is a episode right now about losing her mom to cancer. The reality is that death, the very reality of death, the inevitable, the, the inevitability, I can't even say that word, how death is inevitable really woke me up at a certain point in my life to breakups that, you know, I needed to be able to get a handle over my emotions when it came to letting go of a significant other, of being able to pick myself back up to really have a sense of worth. And not only that, but to have a life outside of one person. So if I lost them, I could keep on living that I had something that I was moving towards. And I think what shocks our system the most is not knowing how to navigate our world without someone. And of course, the reality still is to me that how do you, after someone dies, especially come to terms with that, that their energy will no longer exist for you. Like you can't experience their energy again. Guests that have come on, and as you will hear today, it's really not about getting over it for them. You know, there has to be this acceptance that this is a loss there is no gaining back that energy. You accept that. You don't try to replace it. And so understanding this, understanding the inevitability, still can't say that word, and knowing, okay, these are going to be things that I'm not going to be able to reconcile in the future. I'm not going to be able to replace my father, a child that passed away, a mother, a friend, 
should really, 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 really wake us up to the fact that we need to be present for the people in our lives now. If you enjoy someone, don't have so much pride that you're waiting for them to reach out to you to show that they want to enjoy you back. Put your pride to the side and go where your heart is getting excited. You know, I say, call the person that makes you dream of love. It's not about them being the one, but it's about allowing yourself to have more of the experiences that make you dream about these things, that make you feel alive, that make you feel connected. Death to me and having that be a part of the conversation on Thank You Heartbreak is a huge reminder of how to love romantically, how to appreciate people romantically, even when you're no longer with them. For me, breaking upward is really about not diminishing the people that were in our lives and the impact that they had. It's about thanking them for getting close to us, for letting us into their worlds, for giving us permission to see into them. I mean, not everyone just does that. When you think really about how we meet so many people through our days, or maybe we don't meet them, but we see them. We see seas of people, maybe just in New York. You know, I mean, if you're on Instagram, you're seeing a sea of people. We don't get access into all of their private lives. We don't. We might be on the sideline looking in, but no one really takes our hand and says, come, come, come here closer. And yet, People like our family or our loved ones, boyfriends, girlfriends, people that we hook up with one night, they have invited us in. They have chosen us to get closer to them, to step off the sideline and get, you know, first seat view or not even that, just to be in the act with us. And I don't take that lightly. I don't think any of us should. And when we start looking at people that way, I think that we can start respecting the people that have come in our lives and we can respect our future choices more. We can realize that these are choices we make and it's also a bit of destiny. Sometimes we don't always feel like we have control over who we fall in love with. And I think that we have to see that as these relationships were destined to happen. Beyond that, this episode makes me think about, well, many things. One is that I really always wanted for this podcast and I always wanted to continue to offer this on this podcast regardless of how quote-unquote popular it got was the everyday person. So people that had never spoken on a podcast before, I wanted to be their first experience. I wanted, you know, I hate that in life. I really do. I hate that some people only kind of get ahead or get invited in if they have a whole resume that they've already proven themselves. I don't really jive that way. I'm not looking for the resume. I'm looking for the story. And if I get a sense of someone's story and I connect with that, I want them to come and talk with us more. So we have that today. This is my guest's first time on a podcast. And another thing about this episode is editing it back. I was reflecting on just the small kind of diversions that you'll take, like the reflections that I even make or the things that I ask that can seemingly come out of nowhere. One moment I ask, well, this might sound trite, but did you get a dog? And yeah, that might have sounded really trite in the moment. But then as I listened to the conversation and the direction it went in, I see where it took us. And it took us into a real confession, admission, and also just the love, the softness for an animal, like that whole narrative. 
And so I would encourage you to take those detours, to lead those detours, to say something that might not seem completely relevant, but that is on your mind that you want to ask. And don't be embarrassed to show your curiosity because our own curiosity often grants people permission, again, to confess something, to lead themselves down a place where they just feel like they can smile and just say something really honest and candid and they're smiling and saying all this. I think that this was a really, really nice episode and I feel very fortunate to have gotten to speak to my guest and to have her open up to me about such a sensitive topic that I think all of us do fear, which is losing a parent of ours. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So I would love for you to introduce yourself to my audience. Hello, my name is Beth Pavelinch, and I and my mother co-wrote a book called Two Women, One Disease. And it was a three-year journey of her cancer and me being her caregiver. In the interim, since her passing, I did in fact lose her to cancer, but it just made me very sad to look at her ashes upon the shelf. So I created a new product line called Ashes of Love Memorials to do modern contemporary abstract art pieces, paintings with portions of the remains sprinkled in. I'm just launching that product. I think that is the coolest thing. Can you see the ashes there or would someone not even know that they're in the paint? I think if you weren't looking for it, they wouldn't see it. But if you were looking for it, you can definitely see it. So it's not like glitter because whenever I try to do art, it's like a ton of glitter. It's all over the place. So I guess the ashes aren't like glitter everywhere. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) So that's so cool. So like, what was the process of you see the ashes, then thinking, wait, this should go in the art. Was it just immediate that it hit you that these two things should go together? Well, the thing is, I've always been a creative type. And I just started with this whole acrylic pour painting that I found on YouTube and I had to try it. It was like addicting to me. So I got into that and, you know, looking at my mother's ashes on the shelf, it just made me sad and made me miss her more. So I thought if I put her ashes in the painting, then that would remind me of the beauty she left behind as opposed to the loss of her life. I think it just is so smart. It's a beautiful way of doing it because I think you're right. You have these ashes that are just sitting there and they're so contained, you know, and really you're just looking at this outward shell of whatever it's in, but then you create art and there's movement to it. Absolutely. And I seal it with three layers of varnish. So I actually touch the painting and I can feel her. I can Mm. feel her with me, you know, that might sound strange to some people, but It's important to me. It feels like she's more in my life than contained in this closed box. Mm, I love that. I'm such an advocate of finding ways to incorporate someone into your future rather than compartmentalizing them and thinking, okay, they're this period of time and I just have the memories of them, but there's going to be no way of kind of including them in the afterlife, even if the afterlife is just breaking up with someone. I really like that you've done that. Thank you. And I've had a hard time finding paintings. Like I know there are several different products that are on the market, you know, as far as jewelry and different types of urns, obviously, and stuff like that. But 
I have not found abstract modern artwork that you can hang on your wall. As I mentioned, you know, people who wouldn't know there's ashes in there wouldn't think there's anything in there. You know, it's up to you whether you tell them whether somebody's remains are in that painting or not. Absolutely. What does it feel like to be at the forefront, possibly, of this whole new medium? I am really excited about it. I've run several businesses previously, but I actually took a company starter class through the city of St. Pete for this particular project. And there were about 20 students in the class. And during the last class, we had to present our whole presentation to everybody in the class and then everybody who the guests of the students in the class. And it was unanimously voted that my idea was the most viable idea out there. Wow. So I was really touched by that. I was really excited about that. That's huge, though. That's huge. Yeah. And I I literally, I've just started marketing to funeral homes and crematories. So I'm hoping, you know, they already have my client base. Obviously, I think it would be a little creepy for me to like stock the obituaries. Oh my God, though. (laughs) (laughs) Just cold call all the families. Exactly. I mean, they're already going through enough with the loss and for me to stock the obituaries and then call them and say, I know you just lost a loved one. I can help you memorialize them. You know what this would be really good for, though, is the modern romance column, you know, for the New York Times. Oh, yeah, I can see that. There's been other forms of love stories, not just romantic, but I could see them being into that story. Right. It's a thought. Because the New York Times, I mean, I know so many people that read the obituaries just because they're fascinated. So it would go hand in hand in a way. Really? People just read the obituaries? Yes, I cannot believe this. I will never forget a friend of mine's mom. And she told me that was her favorite thing. She loved starting there. And, and it wasn't just like looking for someone. And it's interesting to me because I don't feel like a lot of obituaries are that inspiring. I feel like they're kind of resumes a lot of the time. Right. Whereas like my dad will have me write tributes of his friends. So he'll give me like notations and then I create a whole like environment around it. So I can imagine reading something like that, but obituary, yeah, I I was kind of startled by that too, but maybe it (laughs) reminds people to live, maybe. I don't know, that's that's kind of weird. (laughs) Did you you talk with your mom about what her obituary would be? She actually wrote her own obituary, believe Mm. it or not. I've heard that before. I've heard of a spouse and the husband that was dying doing it collectively. What was that process like? I can't fathom someone sitting down and then you watching them sit down to do something like that. Oh, it was absolutely heartbreaking, you know, knowing that that she's going and, you know, this is real. You know she's going to die. It's inevitable. It started with breast cancer and then turned into pancreatic cancer. Typically, pancreatic cancer does not have a very good outlook. As a matter of fact, when she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, they gave her three to five months. Wow. Yeah. And told me to call in hospice and get the proceedings going as far as her final wishes. And to hear something like that about your most favorite person in the whole wide world, because my best friend, it's heartbreaking. Oddly enough, she fought 
for 15 months after that diagnosis. Unreal. That was like two years in? Yes. One more? Yeah. Wow. And what do you think it was about her desire to fight? Because I know that originally she didn't even want to do treatment. So in a sense, it was like, or, you know, that she had felt this thing and she didn't want to acknowledge it because her brother, if I have it right, and her mother were going to pass away or had passed away and she didn't want to bring more strife. So there was like a denial and then there was a desire not to even do treatment. And then at the very end, she's fighting with everything she has. What was that about? Well, in all honesty, she found the lump on herself in April of 2007. Mm -hmm. She kept it to herself until November of 2008, which is when she told me, which absolutely breaks my heart because she held all of this in for that long, just dealing it with it herself. So that was heartbreaking enough. And I forgot what your question was. Well, I have just one question, and this is probably a hard question, but is it heartbreaking because I'm sure it's both, but that she was holding on to this herself. She was handling it herself. She was probably wondering, nervous, all these things by herself. And it's the most selfless act, what she was doing. But is it also that she didn't help herself until later? Yes, because she didn't want treatment. And that was basically based off of her grandmother, which was obviously my great-grandmother, who was diagnosed with breast cancer and bone cancer. But that was in the 70s. So... Mm -hmm. The treatment was so much different back then. And she watched her being so sick and, you know, going through these treatments, which again, so, so poisonous to the the human body. And in the end, her grandmother passed away anyway to this disease. So she was dead set against treatment. And um, I think it was just through uh, me and my aunt, who is her sister, you know, just gentle persuasion of, first of all, we all need to know what is actually going to happen if you don't have treatment, which basically would be that your skin and your body would literally start to deteriorate and fall apart. And skin? um, That's what happens? Yes. I saw horrible pictures online. And I know they say don't look online when you get a diagnosis like this, but I did, like everybody does. And I mean, I literally saw a picture of a woman's breast rotting away from the outside in. Oh my God. Because I would imagine that there's so many people that don't get treatment or maybe can't afford it. And so that happens to them? Apparently it does. But I have to tell you, she couldn't afford it. She had no health insurance. She wasn't working. And we were so, so lucky. And I don't even know how it happened, but we got into some breast program that they paid everything. They paid every single thing for her. I couldn't believe that either when I was reading about the various... You know, at one point it was that her hospital day was covered, like $3,000 or something. And it was like one foundation after the other. I was like, oh my God, was that like a full-time job trying to find these things? I mean, that was unbelievable to me, that whole thing. Wasn't her wigs covered as well? Yes, she had uh, wigs covered. She could have had breast reconstruction because she had a double mastectomy. She chose not to. She was, you know, 63 at the time. She wasn't in a relationship. But yeah, it all was covered. It was amazing. Mm. She was young. Yes, very young. Too young. 
So a big part of the book, though, was because you just said she chose not to do it because she wasn't in a relationship. And I know something that was brought up throughout the book was that, you know, having breast cancer is really women losing their femininity, like with the hair and with their breasts, like all these things that they're told to spend so much time on. I would love to hear more about that because... I don't know. I think on the outside, you can intellectualize and be like, nah, that's not the case. Like, I would be fine with it. I mean, for me, I shaved my head off when I was young and I thought I was like so cool. Like, I don't know. I was, I guess what's hard is that it wasn't a choice in a sense. It's one thing to shave your head. It's one thing to wear a sports bra or something and look flat or a breast reduction, but it's another thing if it's not your choice, maybe. Right. Absolutely. And she did wear, you know, fake pads to make her look like she had breasts, you know, when she would go out. As far as the losing her hair thing, I think that was actually harder on me than it was on her. And I'm not sure why. You don't Um, know? I don't know. She, she was completely fine with it. And, and she asked me if, you know, once it got to that point where she started losing her hair, if I would shave her head. And uh, I talked to my aunt about it and I said, I don't think I can do it. You know, I just, I don't know why it was just so touching to me, but, but I have to tell you too, once she had her head shaved, I offered to shave my head as well. And did she tell you not to? She did. And she said, because if I were going to not wear a wig or not wear a headpiece, that would be one thing she said, but I appreciate the offer. But there's no need for that. Wow. And what about the picture in the book of the hair on the countertop? Was that the time that her head had been shaved or when she had just given herself that haircut? That was once her hair first started falling out and she gave herself a haircut. It wasn't completely shaved. And actually, my aunt agreed to do it, but it didn't happen that way. We ended up going to a wig shop and they did it for her and then you know, she got a couple of wigs, which was really cute because she, she used to have these fun hairstyles way back in her high school days. Mm -hmm. So she was able to play with different types of wigs and she did have a fun time with that. You guys seem like you're always just intent on having fun. Absolutely. You know, cancer is so rough and it's so tough. And reading the book that we wrote, there were a lot, a lot of hard times. And, you know, just, I thought I'd never come back from it. But you also have to laugh. You have to laugh. And the important thing is to laugh in the face of cancer, because it's so devastating. And there's really nothing you can fucking do about it. When you look back, do you wish you had laughed more or been more serious in moments? I think we were pretty well-rounded with both you know, taking things seriously and laughing. Like, as a matter of fact, there was a funny story about after my mom was diagnosed with the pancreatic cancer, which had also spread to her liver, we invited her over for dinner. And she said, well, as long as we're not having liver or pancreas. Oh, my God. (laughs) And I kind of laughed, but it was a little too close to her being diagnosed with that. And I said, okay, that might have been a little too soon. (laughs) Did she ever talk to you about like where she pulled that from, like in terms of the humor or was this just her way or was there a philosophy behind thinking your way into humor? My family has always been a cast of characters. 
laughing has got us through so much. My mom didn't have the best of life. She didn't choose the best men. Um, a lot of them were alcoholics and abusive. So you just have to learn to laugh and get over it or otherwise you just be depressed for the rest of your life. Mm. Yeah, I was wondering about the male figures in your life. Obviously, you have a father. Did you tell your father about what was happening with your mom ever? I did. And actually, this is um, what brought my father and I together. Mm. We hadn't talked in the past. And I found out later in life that my mother had been sending him pictures and keeping him posted on what was going on with my life. But once I found that out, because he didn't really want to be a part of my life, I asked her to stop. So um, this experience, he came back into my life and I accepted him back into my life. And we've really grown a huge, incredible bond. And I've actually, in the interim, have met one of my half brothers and he and I have also been building a relationship together. So that's a really nice aspect of it. That's so beautiful. Do you think that if your mom had never, if this had never happened with her, do you see anything that would have brought you back to your dad? Maybe having children or anything like that? I would like to think so. Unfortunately, I was never able to have kids, Mm -hmm. which when I was younger, when I was in high school, I never wanted kids. But then once I got older and just the relationship that my mother and I had, I wanted to share that with a child of my own. Absolutely. And um, that never happened. So Mother's Day, especially now, but even previously, that was always a kind of difficult day for me. And it was kind of sad because I cry on my mother's shoulder that I never had the experience that her and I had with my own child. And now, of course, I don't have my mother, nor do I have any children. So it's like doubly hard on Mother's Day. Kind of just check out on Mother's Day. I turn off my phone. I just like don't want to be bothered. I just need to get through the day on my own. Yeah. And do you feel a difference really the next day? Do you feel like that date really holds this this thing that just wipes you out and the next day you really kind of can come back into the world? Yes, I do. I do feel that way. What would your mom say to you when you were crying about not being able to share that bond with your own child? Well, she felt you know, obviously really horrible for me because of the bond that her and I had. And obviously she would like me to have that same experience. But, you know, mostly she just comforted me and just hugged me and we cried together and Mm. and we would get through it. Yeah, I read something today and it was saying that often when someone comes to someone about whatever they're facing, someone will try to find the solution. And there usually is one. And then someone might say, well, it could always be worse, which is often the case. But what actually helps is to just acknowledge that this is a really hurtful thing because it mattered. It's like people will, this doesn't really, I don't imagine apply to cancer, but if you break up with someone, someone will diminish something. Or I've actually heard this recently, like about not being able to have kids and make a joke about, well, they're actually too much trouble to begin with. And sometimes it's like, you just don't want something to be diminished that really matters and is hurting you. And so it seems like what your mom did for you is what a lot of people are actually wishing people will do for them. But I don't think a lot of us expect that someone would want us just to sit there. We kind of think that people want us to be useful and to come up with solutions and to make it all go away. And yet 
I guess maybe we don't actually need that. Right. And, you know, I, I mean, there are other ways that I could have gone about it. You know, I could have adopted, you know, this and that, but I'm not in a serious relationship. I haven't been for a long time. So I just didn't think that was really an option for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I just truly appreciated the relationship that my mother and I had. You know, she was my best friend growing up. It was just her and I throughout my childhood. And um, I just couldn't have asked for a better situation with my mother. But the thing is, it's like, I can't even fathom. I really can't. I'll never forget where I was even when I had this revelation that I had to get stronger with dealing with breakups and dealing with these men that have been my best friend and losing them. Because if I crumbled over that, how could I possibly handle losing my parents? And just the the conversation around it even that I have with my sister reduces me to tears. I'm like, I'm on an antidepressant now. I don't know how much I would need then. I, I just, I don't know how one goes on. It makes me think about in terms of if you are with a partner, it might sound morbid, but it's hit me that you almost want to choose like who you will go through grief with because whether it's your kids getting older or losing a job or losing parents, it's like you almost want to choose someone that will be there for you in a certain way in your grief. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I felt very lost. Finally got to a point where I had to put her in hospice care because she she was no longer safe in my home. And that literally broke my heart because she, she wanted to die at home. Mm. And I promised her that. And I do not use the word promise unless I am absolutely sure that I can promise someone because I've been promised things that were broken. Mm. And that's why I'm the promise word to me means so much. But then it just got to the point I mean, we had full-time hospice care, but even with them, it got to a point where she was losing her mind, basically. You know, she was trying to break out of the house. She didn't recognize me as her daughter. She wanted to go home to her daughter, and and it was heartbreaking. So, and hospice told me, this is not your choice. This is something that has to be done. So that relieved my guilt a little bit, but it it was heartbreaking. It was absolutely heartbreaking. Have you gotten over the guilt? Because I feel like that was a word that came up a lot in the book. You know, guilt not for writing a blog post or guilt if you felt like you're having a good time and your mom was too tired to be there with you. It doesn't subside. At least for me, it hasn't yet. And it's been eight years now. And I don't know if it ever will. And truth be told, I too am on antidepressants and I'm on anti-anxiety medicine. Yeah. I just realized recently that I should probably go talk to someone because I don't think I've ever really gotten over the loss of her. I mean, obviously I've gone on for eight mm-hmm. years. I've lived my life, but I've never been truly happy since she passed. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with asking for help. I think more people need to reach out to other people. And one of the things I wish I could have done during this process was reach out to support groups, which I never did. Why was that? I'm not really sure. I don't, I don't, I'm not really sure, Chelsea. (laughs) I don't know if I didn't want to share my feelings or if I felt like I couldn't share my feelings or Mm. I don't know, but I, I hope that anyone 
going through this experience does reach out to support groups because they think they're very valuable. You know, you need to know that other people are going through what you're going through. You're not alone in this. Mm -hmm. I think it's asking a lot of ourselves to just hold it all together. And I think a lot of the fear becomes if I start speaking about it, I won't be able to contain myself. So it's like, if I see someone cry, if I start crying, I won't be able to stop. I've also heard with why people don't go to AA is that they don't want to hear what other people's reality has been because they don't want to think that that could be their reality. So I could imagine maybe with cancer, it's like you hear the worst and you don't want to expect the worst for yourself. Or it just, it makes it really real. And then I could also imagine it's like, oh my God, I don't want to go because I want to just spend that hour with my mom. Again, it's, it's hard to start doing something for yourself and realizing you're doing something for yourself because you might be the only person you have at some point. That's hard. And it was so weird. Like, well, how I took out my frustrations was, for instance, I redid, completely redid my flat roof myself. I climbed up on a ladder, I scraped it, I resealed it, and I put my earphones on and I sang at the top of my lungs. And I didn't care who could hear yeah. <laughs> I, I love it. I just did it. And, you know, another thing I did was I had these huge ficus trees and I had them cut down because they were taking over my backyard, but they never got rid of the stumps. Uh-huh. So one of the times I was really, really angry and obviously not angry at her, but angry at the cancer and angry at the world and just angry. Mm-hmm. And I took a sledgehammer and I beat those dumps completely out of the ground. Oh my God. And there, there's a lot of things that, you know, you can do to be productive in your anger. Mm. Totally. Which is different than healing it, I suppose, or having someone else be witness to it. Yeah. And that could be an excuse. You know, maybe I didn't talk to someone and rather than talking, I just beat the hell out of something. Well, I felt like even in the book, there was so much attention placed on the details, like of, you know, saying what was happening each day and and kind of the progression of that. But then there'd be like these moments where both of you would be like, things have actually been really hard and I want to be, this is for honesty. We're doing this for honesty, but I haven't wanted to be honest. And there was almost this difficulty surrounding documenting the feelings. Absolutely. The whole point of it was to get out our feelings, try to be as honest as we could, but there were still things that I didn't really want her to read. That's what I felt from it. And I couldn't tell if you guys were actually reading each other's entries, but I feel like either way, you would want to kind of be safe, even if you have this bond, we're going in, we're going to be honest, we're going to talk about everything we're feeling, this feeling like, oh God, I don't want them to know the extent of it. Right. And that did actually happen. I mean, you know, there were a couple of times that I got angry with her. She would ask me to go to the grocery store and get something for her. And I'd be like, okay, that's fine. But then she would dictate which grocery store I went to. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, you're being a pain in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> Stop controlling everything. Exactly. I realize you're sick, but I'm helping you. Don't tell me what store to go to. <laughs> yeah. And it was interesting though, there was times like with the entries where you kind of might've confessed something like a little bit. And it seems like the next entry, she would have picked up on whatever you were feeling. You wouldn't say it to each other, but it seemed like you kind of could intuit what was going on. Like she knew, 
that you're trying to be so strong and that you needed a rock, but you weren't looking for one. Right. Even though like your entry never really said that. Right. And we both did that a lot, I think. And just to answer your previous question, we did read each other's posts. Mm -hmm. Um, But it just, I don't know. It just seems like it was, like I said, I was a creative all my life and I have been writing poetry and journaling all of my life because, you know, I told you that my mom was physically abused by some of her alcoholic boyfriends and stuff. And I didn't feel comfortable talking about it out loud. So I would write about it. I would journal about it. Mm -hmm. So when this whole process, this whole diagnosis came up, I thought I personally am going to need a release. And that when I thought about the blog and then I asked my mother to join me in writing the blog and she was very reluctant because she thought she had no skills. And, you know, as for reading the book that she was a great writer, she put words together beautifully. Absolutely. And um, I just, I feel like it was just such a relief to get that off your chest, even though I held, we, I'm sure we both held stuff back to not hurt the other one. What about the relief or what was it, I guess, of receiving comments from other people? Because I know that was something that you guys were so thankful for. Absolutely. It was important to know that, you know, we had friends and we had family that, you know, they wanted to know what was going on day to day. So that helped them know that. And I don't know, once the whole experience was over, and I decided to publish this as a book, I just wanted people to know who were going through a similar experience or who, God forbid, will have to go through a similar experience. I want them to know that it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to beat the hell out of a tree stump, get your anger out, you know, and I've not found a book that has both sides of the affected and the afflicted. Absolutely. That's very true. Yeah. And I just think that it's important for people. I wish I had a book like this to walk me through this journey. I had no idea what to expect. What were you up to before you found out about your mom's illness? What did life look like? She lived with me. We were best friends. She worked for me. She was my executive assistant. I traveled full time with um, a company that I owned and I was gone Monday through Friday. So she did my back office work and she maintained my home while I was gone, you know, handled all the maintenance and everything like that. So it was not a normal life because, you know, I don't know anyone who travels Monday through Friday. It's mostly men who do that rather than women. But it was very normal. And I loved when I would come home and, you know, she would have dinner ready for me and the house would be spotless. And it was just a beautiful thing. Mm. And what were you thinking of in terms of relationships for yourself, romantic relationships at that point before that you found out? Were you someone that hadn't been in relationships for a while? Was it something that like wasn't on your radar that you weren't, you know, hungry for? Uh, well, I was in a seven-year relationship while I was traveling and had previously found out that he was screwing around behind my back when I was gone. And um, so... Yeah. And- it's, it's really hard to maintain a relationship. It's actually hard to maintain friendships right? when you travel Monday through Friday. I mean, you, you have a whole other life. 
you know, during the week than you do during the weekend. Mm. Yeah, it's like, which is the escape? Because I've always, you know, for a decade been in long distance relationships. And I would always hate when people would say to me, oh, you guys are just on like mini honeymoons, or it's like an escape from your real life. But, but at the same time, yes, you know, and yeah, it's, uh, it's hard. I don't care what people say about how things are easier now because we can all text each other. The reality is, and my dad always has said this, that it's not enough just to send messages. You have to see each other. And I think for me, I mean, you know about the trip I was just on. It was something that I think that was part of the nerves I had. It was like, because of my long distance relationships, thinking, is it going to be different when we're in person? Is it only good when we're away from each other or not? And so it just is so important. I found out the value. It's not always about you understand each other more by spending time with each other. It's just that you live more together and how that nourishes you and kind of builds you up having just more time with someone. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, they say absence makes the heart grow fonder. Yeah. I never knew if I believed that. (laughs) I was like, no, when it comes to dating, I'm like, if someone doesn't return my text and that's what we're talking about, absent makes my heart grow fonder, it does just the opposite. I have like literally no respect for you. Right. I need people around all the time. Show me you care. Right. I think I would do better. I've been on my own for so long now that I don't even know if I can compromise in a relationship. It's like, I need my space. So to me personally, right now in this moment, I think a long distance relationship would be great. I do feel lonely and alone, but I think having someone up my ass 24-7 would drive me insane. No, you would be out in the yard with a sledgehammer, whatever you said it was, or whatever the tool was, and you'd find another ficus tree. Totally. It'd be the reversal of roles. You would be out in the lawn just to get away from your man. All right. That's hilarious. Oh Listen, people shit on long-distance relationships. I'm like, you know, we all do them for a reason. And sometimes, you know, it's all we can give ourselves or, you know, it's beneficial. It works for certain people. Sometimes life, and I think about early into the emotions of like loneliness and feeling alone and really acknowledging that kind of the first step out of it sometimes is not having this big dreamy goal of finding the person or even with yourself of like never feeling alone. It's just having something to look forward to. And so I think that if there was a guy and you just had a date to look forward to in the future, I think that often makes us feel very comforted. Sometimes like the sense of loneliness is not knowing what we're moving toward. That's very true. I agree with that. And um, I kind of think that I'm ready for a relationship. I wish that I had someone in my life that, you know, could hug me. And I got to tell you, the hugging, the touching, not even sexually, but just, just the touching, just holding your hand or, you know, running their fingers through your hair. I do miss that aspect of it. Mm. I have to tell you, for a year and a half, I didn't touch anyone, okay? And like, I am such a physical person as well. I just become so much softer towards life, so playful. And recently, I got the taste of just a bit of touching, like you're saying, through the hair. And I mean, I just want it all the time now. I mean, I might get it tonight. And I just cannot wait. I just cannot wait to touch someone's arm. Right. 
Right. It's like, it's crazy. It's like you can be so good without it. It sounds like you're someone that has, like you said, you've been able to continue on, to live on, to create these businesses and probably be content in many ways. But then it's like, God, just the smallest taste of that again, it reminds me of the value of choosing someone to be closer to. It doesn't have to be all the way. It can just be a little bit. You know, just seeing how someone's eyes change when you touch them is something really significant to me, those details, that allowance, really. Right. And I agree with that. It was so funny going back to my mom. I didn't feel like I really needed a guy in my life because, like I said, I was traveling Monday through Friday. I had been in a relationship with somebody while I was traveling who was having his way with other women when I was gone. And that didn't work for me. But my mother and I had that relationship. We actually used to joke about me being the husband, you know, the breadwinner and her staying home and taking care of the house, you know, like we were a married couple, but her and I, we always hugged and kissed when we left each other. And Mm -hmm. You know, she was the first person I saw in the morning and the last person I saw at night. And I loved that. And then, you know, after she had gotten the cancer and she started to get very sick and, you know, I had a house full of people. My aunt literally moved in with us to help take care of my mother. And then we had all of hospice, you know, the nurses, the social worker, the chaplain. And then when she went into hospice hospice, and then passed away and I came home and there was nothing. It was complete silence, nobody there. And it just, it was so lonely. I never have ever felt that lonely before. And I imagine it wasn't just one night or one week. Absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, This might sound trite, but did you get a dog? I actually, (laughs) I had a dog through this whole process. And um, I remember that it was in the book. Yes. Yes. And the dog would bark at your mom when she had wigs on, different wigs on. She would. And she would, oh my goodness, if my mom was getting sick, she would cry and just try Mm. to get to her so bad. And it was so sad. But my mom, before she got really, really sick and I would leave for work and I would tell Roxy, now keep an eye on Grammy. And one time my mom, I came home from work and she said, Beth, could you please tell Roxy not to keep an eye on me? Because every time I look at her, she's literally staring at me. (laughs) Staring her down. Oh my God. But I got to tell you, um, after having lost my mom, she's my baby. She's literally what has kept me going. Because I honestly contemplated suicide after her death because she was my whole life. But I had this beautiful mini dachshund that needed me, needed me to take care of her. Mm. I don't know how people do it without dogs. I'll never forget looking for an apartment in New York. And I was staying at a friend. She was gone. There was none of my animals there. It was such a scary feeling. Coming back to a place that I'd been very depressed in, I was newly on antidepressants and just feeling very alone. I wasn't around anything familiar, none of my own belongings. And there's just such value to having a dog and a cat. And, you know, my dog has really saved me, has socialized me when I moved back here. I think that there's something also about saying aloud, I love you. I tell my animals I love them so many times during the day. And I think that 
has actually helped me as a single person. I think it just feels, uh, I think we all want to love something. And I think also something that I'm noticing from what you're saying about your mom and your dynamic is at the end of the day, it's like the best relationships and romantic relationships too is just a best friend. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. And I'm glad to hear you say that because sometimes I think I'm crazy because I talk to my dog all day long and it's like, am I crazy? Yeah, no, I mean, I said this to someone and they thought I meant just, oh, like go fetch this. They thought I just meant like simple. I'm like, no, I actually talk to my cat about it. I'm very proud of it. I mean, these are conversations. People right. looked at me like I was nuts. I'm like, by no means am I brief with my animals. I don't talk to them in like, you know, animal language. I talk to them like they're humans. Exactly. And I believe they are. I don't know why. I mean, I know they can't talk back to you or anything, but they do show you their love, you know? I tell my cat, I go, you need to sleep with me tonight, okay? I'll tell him earlier in the day. When the lights go off, you got to come in. And I swear to God, the lights will go off and he comes right in. It's like he knows. He has heard me. He's planning a schedule around me now. And I swear they know. They totally know. Absolutely. And they pick up on the littlest things. Like it was getting closer and closer to this podcast. And as I mentioned, I've never done a podcast. This is my first one. So I was a little nervous and she was picking up on that and she became nervous. Mm. You know, She was following me around and watching me just, you know, staring at me intently like, Ma, what's going on? Why, what's going to happen? Yeah. <laughs> what is going to be the final outcome? I know I felt so bad that I didn't just like take the time to reassure you. I mean, no one can really reassure you that there's no reason to be nervous, but uh, hopefully it hasn't been too scary or overwhelming for you. It hasn't. It's, I have to thank you because it's actually been a pleasure. It's literally like I'm talking to a friend. Good. I feel that as well. So I would love to know what you kind of picture when you hear the word break up word, it's, you know, a word I coined. So I'm always curious what someone else kind of feels or thinks when they hear that word. Well, I feel about that. I think that that's a, a good word to coin. I mean, you know, because that means you're going to continue on with yourself. You're not just going to stop living. You're going to keep going. Yes. Keep going in... I think sometimes the ways that you've always desired for yourself or you just wouldn't expect for yourself. Right. And I think it also kind of indicates that you have to take your heartbreak and learn from it and do something with it, Mm. which I am doing with the book itself and the artwork. 100%. I think that's why you're such a strong candidate for Thank You Heartbreak. Because originally with my whole idea for it, when it started out, it was people that changed professionally, reinvented themselves, and now attribute that reinvention to heartbreak. So you are that. Well, thank you. Thank you. I just want to help people get over, or not get over, because I don't think you ever really get over the heartbreak of losing someone, but just to make it just a little bit easier. Mm. Yeah. I met with someone when I was in Europe that listens to the podcast and she's been a client and she was just talking about how significant it is to hear someone say what she's feeling or just to kind of be a guide. And I feel like your book, it's guidance and it's making someone feel seen from, like you've said, both sides. And also it gives someone that's maybe in your situation perspective on what their loved one might be feeling or why they may be doing certain things. So in a sense, it's guidance, but it can provide answers or possibilities. 
Absolutely. And that's what I'm hoping to get across to someone. Nicole Pager had written an article that she included me in. She's a journalist and um, she included me in, in the Huffington Post. But I saw on Twitter today that she did an article for Parade Magazine on Katie Couric. And she had lost her husband many, many years ago to cancer and has not so long ago lost her sister to cancer. And she started with loveme.com. With loveme? Yes. Mm. And I checked into that and it is pretty much the same thing that I'm trying to do is connect patients and caregivers so that everyone knows that they're not alone and that there's support for both of them. And I think it's so valuable and I can't wait to reach out to Katie Kirk myself and just hopefully join you know exactly well what i think is so cool is that you didn't go to a support group and you haven't yet but you're creating a support group and maybe it just all along you knew this was something that you wanted to offer someone but you wanted it to happen in a different environment and so you're creating a new environment for support and i am trying to do that i'm i'm not a salesperson i'm not a marketer so i'm having a harder time getting it out there but i want to make it easier for people than it was for me Mm. Tell my audience where they can find you. I can be found at multiple places, uh, artbybeth.com. I also have ashesoflovememorials.com, which is for the artwork. You can also buy the book online at Amazon. One other question that I have for you. What would you say to someone if, you know, the inevitable is that one of us will pass before the other, that these are inevitables in life. What would you encourage someone to do? How to be present to someone before they're sick even? Just on an everyday basis, what would you say to them that they should try to do? I would say gratitude is number one. Love, show your love, don't hold back. You know, that is so important. And there is actually an excerpt in my book where I tell my mom, what she has taught me and what I have learned from her. And I actually read it to her twice because that was later in her diagnosis when the first time I didn't think she really heard me. And I wanted her to know how important she was in my life mm. and the things that she taught me in life. Mm. So I would just say hug and love and gratitude all the way. I love that. I love that. Don't hold back. Don't hold back. I mean, just brave the emotion. That's really good. Even if it's uncomfortable. Yeah. And you know, I also feel like even if you feel like it might not be mutual, like you might not hear it back. Life is too short. Relationships, moments, all of this, it can be fleeting. Got to say what's inside of you to say and not worry too much if it's going to be mirrored back or how it's going to be received. Absolutely. I think that you should voice whatever is in your heart and in your head, as long as it's not hurting someone, you know, as far as the love and the gratitude and stuff like that. And, you know, if you get it back, great. If you don't, you've still made your point. Mm. And you're a lot braver than the rest.
If this episode resonated with you, it would mean the absolute world if you could pass it on and let other people know about it. How you can support this podcast is really just sharing it, telling people about it. If you know someone that's hurting in their heart, tell them about Thank You Heartbreak. And if you want to be a guest on Thank You Heartbreak, reach out to me. You can find me on Instagram at Thank You Heartbreak, or you can email me directly at Chelsea, C-H-E-L-S-E-A, at BreakUpward, B-R-E-A-K-U-P-W-A-R-D, And if you're interested in one-on-one coaching sessions, you can visit my website, breakupward.com slash shop, where you can check out directly from my site. It's a super, 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 super simple process. Of course, I will answer any of your questions before you book. And again, you can email me at chelsea at breakupward.com. There's many different coaching options. And I would love to show up for you as you begin to show up in more wise and clarifying and secure ways for yourself. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you.